happy Sabbath to you and those who are online. We are happy that you are there as well. And the same love that we give to those who are here in the congregation, we're giving to you as well today. I certainly would like to thank the uh, president, Pastor Eglin Brooks, and the administrators of the British Union Conference for allowing me to, to come by here. Every time I, I leave, they think I'm not coming back. Um, but I'm, I'll be back, don't worry. <laughs> There's no need to, to fear. I, it is when I leave in my family, dog, that's when I'm not coming back. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Dr. Liverpool and the leadership team uh, for the invitation as well. It's a beautiful thing to be here in Ypsilanti. I had to learn to pronounce the name. You know, in the United Kingdom, there are some very uh, funny pronunciations of names. So I invited a very good friend of mine to come over from America to preach in England. And he was assigned a church in Reading. And when he stood up to speak, he said, Brethren, I'm so happy that I can be here in Reading, because that's how it is spelled. It is spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G, Reading. But they pronounce it Reading. It's the British thing, you know. And so everyone was laughing, and they had a good, <laughs> a good laugh, but he had a learn to pronounce. So I had to try my best to pronounce the name of this, of this place. I don't think I've gotten it all correct, but Ypsilanti. But by the end of the week, probably, I would, you know, I'll, I'll keep working on it. Is there any other funny names around here that I need to? <laughs> very, very happy that I could be here. And uh, our message uh, would be uh, preached very shortly. But this afternoon, we will, uh, at 7, uh, our message is beyond imagination. And then tomorrow evening, it's the four Ps of kingdom living. So we will be uh, rolling along nicely here. Remember to pray every hour on the hour. And if you need some special prayer for healing and you need anointing, just speak to one of the leadership team because we will be announcing an evening when we will be doing that in person right here at the church. And most likely it would be Wednesday evening, our prayer time. So if you need anointing, special anointing and special prayers, please speak to our pastor, your pastor, or any of the leadership team, and we will get that arranged. We'll get that arranged. I would like to invite you at this time to stand as we read the Word of God. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I will read in your hearing from verse 1 to 12. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1 to 12. You're there, say amen. 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 Good. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on yonder side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree which is at Migron. The people who were with him were about six 
hundred men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In the pass by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Boziz, and the name of the other, Sinna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Giba. And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that in your mind inclines to. Behold, I am with you. As is your mind, so is mine. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show, them, uh, show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Our message today is entitled, God Will Turn It Around. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your words. If there is anything that will get between the word and your people that this preacher brings, I pray, God, that you will take it away. I pray, God, that you will humble me at your footstool. I pray, God, that Kirk Thomas will disappear from here and the people will hear your voice and the messages that you have for them. I pray, God, that this will not be about me, my eloquence, my education, or any of the accolades that have been bestowed, but this will be about your people and your word. And may you be lifted up, and may you draw all of us to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I conducted a PESS analysis. P-E-S-S. -S. As I conducted this PESS analysis, I recognize that the first P is for political. Politically, things are not going well in this world. I, I will begin with the United States of America, where they have granted me the privilege of coming here without a visa, and I had to pay anyhow for an ESTA, meaning that I can come here without a visa, but I still have to pay $14. 
uh, to, to, to have the permission to come in this country, and I have 90 days to stay, and then I have to leave. Well, in the United States, politically, things are not getting better either. Uh, politically, you guys are up here for midterm elections, and the predictions may seem that the, the Republicans might win, and some are saying that the Democrats will win, but whether the Republicans win or the Democrats win, politically, things are not better here in the United States. As a matter of fact, if you skip over to the country where I'm from and where I, I live, you know the mess. You have been studying the mess. You have seen the mess. We have the short, we had the shortest prime minister in history, 36 days, the shortest chancellor in, in history. Uh, he lasted probably about two weeks, if that much. Uh, and now we are running again for another prime minister. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, it's all in a mess. London Bridge has fallen down, broken down, broken up, split up. We are in a crisis. You look around the world, every country, there is some crisis or the other. You look on the continent of Africa, you see chaos and confusion. Right now in Europe, you see the war with Putin, one man destroying an entire nation, and the whole world sits back and folds their hands because he has some nuclear uh, button that he can press. Uh, the, the, the whole world, you look into Asia, whether it's Pakistan or India, politically, Things are not getting better, not even in the Caribbean or in South America. Things are not getting better politically. As I continue my PES analysis, I come to E. Economically, the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. The poor are turning to economic vagrancy while the rich bask in the glory of whatever financial crisis there is because they create the crisis and then they bet on the crisis and then they win on the crisis. And the poor continues to struggle to pay their heating bills and their gas and their electricity and to put food on the table and to clothe their children and to send their children to school to get a decent education. Politically, and economically, this world is in a mess. Uh, my next S comes to socially. Socially, the world is in chaos and confusion. There seem to be no moral standards anymore. Everyone can do whatever they want. Every philosophy says that it's because based upon what you want, so postmodernism or whatever ism there is, all says one thing, that you as a human being, you are in charge of your own life you can make your own decisions. Nobody can tell you what to do. Everybody needs to just leave you. Our kids are telling us that, look, man, you just leave us. There's no, you don't have to tell us anything as parents. We can do whatever we want to do. The schools tell them that if anything happens, call this number, call that number, call the, 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 the discipline. When I was growing up at uh, Dr. Liverpool, my mother will pull that strap and, and I will be very much disciplined. And I'm straight up to now, but no, you can't do that anymore because the government says this and the sociologist says this and, and the, 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 uh, socially things are out of control. People are choosing whatever they want to do, whatever gender they want to be, whichever toilet they want to go into. It's just crazy. 
busy in our world socially today. And I can't continue because of time, but spiritually, my last uh, S, uh, the, so it's PES, my PES analysis, P-E-S-S, -S, the, the S for spiritual. Spiritually, the world is no, there is people in this world today do not acknowledge God anymore. They live their lives as if God is dead or he's looking at the young and the restless days of our lives. In the UK, it says what's something, Abbey, and, and I don't look at these things, I don't even know the name, but all these soap operas, it's as if God is just away, just having fun and leaving us to ourselves. People don't acknowledge God anymore. If you try to tell them, about God, it's a crime. If you try to tell them about God, they say you're Bible bashing in the United Kingdom. If you try to tell them about God, they're like, no, 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 no. He does not exist. There's something someplace, but not God they say. And, and, and spiritually, even Christians are getting into the doldrums of, of complacency with their spiritual lives. And so the Christians who were supposed to be the ones to set an example for the world, we ourselves are compromising with the world. We ourselves are compromising in our spirituality. And so the world has no example to follow. So spiritually, the world is in crisis as well. The world is in a mess. Well, if you think that things are bad now, well, things were bad back then as well in this story that we will pick up. That's where we will go and that's where we will stay. The situation in Israel was one of crisis. Every day, the, the, the Israelites were plundered by the Philistines. Every time they planted any crops, they were reaped by the Philistines instead of, of the Israelites reaping their crops. As a matter of fact, at that time, if you read the previous chapter when you go home for your homework, you will discover that Israel... Uh, Israel was in bondage, in so much bondage, that there was only two swords in Israel. I did say two. Somebody heard me. Two swords in Israel. Jonathan had one sword, and Saul had one sword. The Philistines confiscated every weapon that the Israelites had. They confiscated even the agricultural tools. And so you had to form a queue, or if you said, America here a line to go down to Felicia and to sign a book to borrow a tool to come and to work the land and when the crops were ripened the Philistines came and reaped your crops for you the Israelites were hiding in caves and they were hiding in holes they were just moving out of their homes they couldn't stay in their homes it was a time of crisis and while while they were in crisis, the king Saul, who was supposed to lead them, somebody ought to hear me here, he had with him at the start 33,000 fighting men. But now, by this chapter 14, we find that Saul only has 600 men. All the soldiers had run away. Saul himself was hiding under a pomegranate tree. As a matter of fact, he was chilling out under a pomegranate tree with a glass of juice. Somebody ought to hear me here now. And some muffins. And, and just, just chilling out with 600 men while the 
Israelites were in crisis. You know, oftentimes as leaders, and I want to talk to the leaders here today, sometimes as leaders, we do not get the sense of what God wants us to do. We do not get the sense of where God wants to lead us. We have become so complacent because we think that we are educated. We think that we know what to do. We have been doing this long time. We can just take God's church anywhere and take God's church granted. But here we see Saul, who was supposed to be the king, is chilling out while the church is in crisis. Somebody ought to hear me here. We see poor Saul, who is supposed to be the king. He is not praying while the church is in crisis. Uh, we, we see Saul, who is supposed to be the leader, has no concern about the welfare of his members while he is just under a pomegranate tree and he is chilling out drinking juice and eating muffins while the church, while the country, while the community, while the schools, while the society is in crisis. Ah, sometimes church, we can be like this. We are just having a nice time eating, burping and quarreling while the society, while the community is dying, while young people are being shot or stabbed, while drugs is being pushed right out of our doorstep, and we do nothing about it because we are powerless. We see a powerless king with powerless people hiding in holes and in caves while the enemy runs rampant throughout the country. We see powerless parents hiding and cowering in fear while their children run wild. Is there not a God who has power? Is there not a God who is able? Is not there a God who can take it and turn it around? We hide on the pomegranate trees. We hide from the facts. And we serve a God who is bigger than anyone else. My Jamaican friends will say, we don't serve any pian pian God. No, you don't know that here, you Americans, right? You we see Saul, the king, hiding. While God still allowed him to have two swords, one sword is idle. When God allows you to have something in your hands, you've got to use it. Somebody say amen. Somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody next to you, I've got to use what God has given me in my hands. I've got to use what God has given me in my hands. When God has given you something, you've got to use it. But no, Saul was there with a sword, hiding it. The Bible says that Jonathan, <laughs> somebody out here, the Bible says that Jonathan, Saul's son, looked at the situation, looked at the crisis that was facing the country, 
Look at the crisis that was facing the people. And Jonathan said, I will do something about it. Because Jonathan realized, and this is my first point, that in crisis, God will work. Somebody, tell somebody that in crisis, God will work. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, he said, man, <laughs> he said, let's go over to this garrison of the Philistines. Uh, let, let, let's go over. And let's show ourselves to them. Because God can work for us. Verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man who wore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these fellows uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, somebody say saving, by many or by few. Jonathan said, It's just two of us. And one sword. <laughs> it's just two of us and one sword. Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. You may think today you don't have much, but you give it up to God and God will turn it around for you. <laughs> ah, somebody hear me here. You give whatever you have in the hands of God and God will turn it around. Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. Jonathan said, man, I'm going to go over because this land is in crisis. If I stay here, the same thing will happen. If I stay here, it's going to happen when I get up in the morning, the same thing over and over. Aren't you tired of living a life where the life is just a routine life? The same things happen over and over and over and over again. I once visited... Uh, a family in England, and the young man was from Grenada, and he said to me, he said, he said, Pastor, I'm going back home. Well, I said, what, what do you mean you're going back home? You, you have your house here, you have everything here. What do you mean you're going back home? He said, yes, Pastor, I'm going back home. He said, these people where I'm working, they have me doing the same. He was a joiner, a carpenter. They have me turning out the same spindles every day, every week. Every month, I've been with them now for 15 years. And for 15 years, I've been doing the same thing over and over. And he said, Pastor, the only way I'll escape of this, I've got to go back home. I said, bro, <laughs> have you ever thought about changing jobs? <laughs> well... <laughs> Have you, have you ever thought about starting your own industry? Have you ever thought about doing your own thing? Yes. You don't have to leave and go back home. Just do your own thing. Do what God has placed in your heart. Start your own business. Do something. And that's what I'm saying to you today. If you are tired of just doing the same thing over and over, then do something different. Do something different. Jonathan was tired of sitting around with his father, just eating muffins and, and drinking juice. And the land was in crisis. He said, I'm going to do something. He says, let's go over to this garrison of the Philistines. Well, in those days, a garrison could be 300 soldiers. A garrison could be 50. It could be 100. The Bible does not say how many were in the garrison because different garrisons had different numbers. But whatever was, whoever were in the garrison, there were more than these two young men. Somebody say amen. There were more than two. That were in, they were by many. 
Oh, my few. God's help. If Jonathan says God can do anything, he can change things around. He can turn it. God does not have to save by many or by few. If it is you alone, he can save you. Somebody say amen. Save you. So they went over there and they showed themselves to the garrison. This garrison was well positioned, you see. This garrison was well positioned. You had to climb up to get to it by rocks. It was a smooth, uh, you know, it was set on a ledge, and so you had to climb up to get to it. So once you're climbing up, the enemy has the advantage. Somebody ought to hear me here. Yes. I want to tell, tell your neighbor that the devil may think he has the advantage, but God still has the final say. Somebody say <laughs> You may tell, the devil may tell himself he has the advantage, but God has the final say. So they both decided to show themselves to, to, to the uncircumcised. And they said, look, the Hebrews have come out of their holes. Oh, suddenly there's some brave Hebrews here. Uh, we have been itching for a fight. They have always been running away, but now they want to fight. So this is good. The enemy is saying, we want to fight. You know, I, I can remember going to school one, and I was going there, you know, there was this bully in the class. You know, every, every class has a bully. And the big thing about this bully is that when he stood up to fight with you or whatever, everybody would run away from him because he was big, you know, he was muscular. Uh, you know, he had a big head, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was good. But I, I, I spoke with my uncle one day and he said, man, all you got to do is stand up. Stand up. Everybody's running, you stand up. When the bully came by and I stood up, I, I spread my wings and made myself big. <laughs> the bully looked at me and he said, man, 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 I'll I, I, I see you tomorrow. I'll come back to you tomorrow. And that was the end of all the bullying. Because he recognized that somebody stood up to him. You know, when the devil is trying to pull you down, when the devil is trying to get under your skin, when the devil is trying to do all kinds of things, you stand up in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Stand up. Let him know that God is large and in charge of your life. And he can't touch you. So here comes Jonathan and his armor bearer. And here's my second point. That God is able to make us victorious even when we are outnumbered. <laughs> Somebody out of here. <laughs> God is able to make us victorious even when we are outnumbered. They said to them, Look, the Hebrews are coming out from the holes. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We will show you a thing. <laughs> we will show you who is bad here. We will show you who is the monster here. We will show you who is the better soldier here. We will show you who is the better fighter. You come up to us. I'm going to show you a thing. Let me tell you something. You may be outnumbered today by your problems, your circumstances, your situations in life, your addictions, whatever it may be. God has sent me here today to let you know that he can turn
turn it around. You might be outnumbered by your pain and your suffering and everything may seem against you. That wicked neighbor that's taken you to court. Oh, you may be outnumbered by all the things that you have gone through. Your past may have been a bad one and your present keeps going back to that past but let me tell you today that your past should only be a place of reference not a place of residence somebody ought to hear me here today I'm going to say it again that your past should be a place of reference, not a place of residence. Because God has taken you away from your past. And he says, you go on and you do your thing for me. God wants to save us and make us victorious. He wants to turn around the negative things in our lives and bring positivity to our experience. Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up because God had given him a sign that he was going to turn it around. Let me tell you something. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. When God turns things around for you, it's not only for you. <laughs> Somebody say that. <laughs> when God turns things around for you, it's not only for you. When he turns it around for you, he turns it around for all the people that you have influence over. He turns it around for your family. He turns it around for your church. He turns it around for your community. He turns it around for your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones. He turns it around for everybody within your sphere of influence. So don't tell me that God is a selfish God. He's not. And he don't want to deal with selfish people. He wants to make us people of sacrifice. People who will bless others' lives. Because when God blesses you, he blesses all around you. Amen. All around you. Your children are blessed. So that's why you, the onus and the responsibility is upon you to go to God and say, God, I want to turn this around. I want to turn this addiction around. I, I want to turn this, this dryness in my spirit around. I want to turn my life around because once I am turned around, others will turn around too. God, I want to turn this unfaithfulness to my marriage around. Because once I am turned around, it cuts off in my generations. I'm going to talk about generation to generation, one of the topics we will discuss during this series. God wants to turn around. Oh, let me hasten on here now. Because my third point is this. That Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up on their hands and on their knees. <laughs> now somebody will say, Pastor, what are you getting at? You what do you mean they turned, they climbed up on their hands and, and, and on their knees? Uh, the Bible says in, in verse 13, Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and, and his knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within the half, half a furrow and in an acre of land. They climbed up on their hands on their knees. The, the, the rock was smooth. Uh, it was difficult for footholds. It, it was difficult for them to hold on to things, so they had to get down on their hands and on their knees. It was tedious pro progress going up that steep 
uh, mountain to get to the top of the garrison where the fight was. But let me tell you something. The real fight was not at the top of the garrison. Somebody hear me here. The real fight was not at the top of the mountain. The real fight was getting up to the mountain. Somebody ought to hear me here. Because you see, when they got up there, you will see this message. When they got up there, the victory was won. <laughs> but, but it was getting up the rough side of the mountain. Yes. It was getting up the rough side of the mountain. And how did they get up there, uh, Sister Kwan? How did they get up there? They got up there on their hands and on their knees. You see, when you kneel down to pray, when you are petitioning the throne of grace, when you go down there on your hands and on your knees, when you prostrate yourself before God, when you're weeping between the porch and the altar, when you are sacrificing and fasting and in prayer, and you're wrestling with God like Jacob did. You see, when Jacob wrestled with God all night, the victory was won there. So when he met Esau, it was a piece of cake. Somebody say amen. amen. When you get down on your hands and your knees, the victory is already won. For Jonathan and his armor bearer, as they climbed up on their hands and on their knees, they were praying, and they were praying, and they were praying, and they were praying. You know why? Because it was two young men and one sword against 300 hardened fighting Philistines. Yes. And the only way you can overcome the enemy that's more powerful than you in your strength, you have got to get the whole armor of God. Somebody say amen. You've got to get the armor of God on you. You've got to have the protection of God on you. You've got to have the power of God within you. You've got to have the faith of Jesus Christ that's leading you. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody here today. Oh, they climbed up on their hands and on their knees. And as they climbed up there and they got to that place where the fighting began, Jonathan must have been trained in some hand-to-hand combat because you know what? Uh, Jonathan rushed them and he picked them up. He threw them over his shoulders and the armor bearer did the business with a sword. One sword. Two men with a retinue of angels. Because that's what God does. Here's my, here's my next point. Here's my next point. Surround yourself with positive influences. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. Surround yourself with positive influences. Watch what verse 7 says. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in thy heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his knees, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, his armor bearer slew them after him. Let me tell you something. The story would have been different if when Jonathan said to that armor bearer, Let's go over and show ourselves to those uncircumcised Philistines. The armor bearer said, Man, you sure? You know what you're doing? Man, those guys are vicious. Look, look, even your father, the king, he's hiding on the pomegranate tree. And they had 33,000 men, and now they only have 600. All the rest have run away. Are you, are you sure? Did you, did you ask your father's permission? Are you, are you sure this is the right thing to do? 
according to the, lo the logics and the logistics of war, we are so outnumbered that we would be dead before we raise our sword. Uh, Jonathan, you know I love you, but I can't stay with you. I'm gone. Could you see what would have happened to the story? This story would have been so different. Or maybe this story would have been the same minus the armor bearer. Because Jonathan could have gone on his own. Let me tell you something. When it comes to spiritual battles, you have got to be prepared to go it alone. Uh, you didn't get me. You've got to be prepared to go it alone. But blessed are those who have a friend who stick it closer than a brother. Sister Kwan, I, I got to shake your hand for this. Blessed are those who have a friend who will pray for them in their moments of need. <laughs> blessed are those who have a mother who will pray for them that they will be successful. A father who will pray for them. Uh, an aunt, an uncle, a, a church member, somebody who will cry out to God on our behalf. Blessed are those who have a wife who will pray for them while they're out doing the Lord's business. Blessed are those. This armor bearer said, I'm going to go with you. Yeah. And even if I die, it's fine. We will be dead for a good cause. At least we will, be, we will die trying. We'll die trying. Of course, he wasn't like 50 cents who said, I, uh, I'll get rich quick or die trying. No, he, 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 he was saying, you know 50 cents. Oh, don't be so innocent on me here now. Come on. Don't be, so don't be, <laughs> don't be so innocent on me. No, but he, so today you may have some people in your life. You know, there's some folk in your life that you need to drop. You know, like when you take out a hot bread or potato or something out of the oven with your own hands and it's, ah, yeah. There are some people you need to drop. There are some negative influences in your life that you need to walk away from. There, there are some folk who uh, all they want to do is to discuss what's on Twitter, Facebook, or, or YouTube, or Instagram. They spend days and nights on that, those things, and all they want to do is to gossip and, and to do. You've got to leave some of these folk at the bottom of the hill, and you've got to climb up on your hands and your knees. Sometimes it's all by yourself. So that you can get the victory. I, I got to rush to a close here, Pastor. I don't want to keep your people too long here. But the next point I'd like to make is this one. That God's favor is the recipe for courage. Say it to somebody. God's favor is the recipe for courage. How do I know this? Watch what happens. <laughs> Watch what happens. Verse 13, and Jonathan climbed upon his hands and upon his knees and his feet. And his armor bearer after him and he fell before Jonathan... And, 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 and verse 14 says, And the first slaughter which Jonathan made, and his armor bearer was about 20 men within that, that half an acre of land. And Jonathan continued, and his armor bearer, to gain the victory. When they saw 
that God was working on their side, they kept going. Church, let me tell you something. You may be afraid to go out into the community and to do something for God, but let me tell you something. The minute you step forth into that community, you will see God at work. Somebody hear me here today. The minute you go out there and you start an initiative, that community services, that diabetes thing, that, that stuff for the gangs and the, and, the, and the young people and whatever. The minute you step out into God's community, because it's God's community, and God has been working there long before you decide to go out there. God has already prepared people out there for you. God has already made a territory safe for you. The minute you step out into that territory, God will give you courage to continue. As they continue, God bless them. Yeah. And I like to make my final point here today, and this is it. That there's a trembling when God's people move courageously. <laughs> you didn't get that. There's a, there is a trembling yeah. when God's people move courageously. Watch what, what, what happens. And there was a trembling, verse 15, in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they all trembled. And, and the earth quaked so that there was an exceeding great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went hither and thither. There was chaos and confusion in the enemy's camp because two of God's children decided to move courageously. There was trembling. They began to kill each other. They began to beat up each other. They began to fight each other. They began to run helter-skelter. Why? Because they did not only see Jonathan and his armor bearer coming, they saw a multitude of angels. Like Gehazi of old as Elisha opened his eyes and said, Look, those who are with us <laughs> are more than those who are against us. It does not matter what the crisis is. God will turn it around. Zephaniah 3, 9 and verse 14 says, And in the end, I will turn things around for the people. I'll give them a language undistorted, unpolluted, words to address God in worship and united, to serve me with their shoulders to the wheel, to sing. So he says, oh, so sing, daughter Zion. Raise the rafters, Israel, daughter Jerusalem. Be happy and be celebrating. God will turn things around. How do I know that God will turn things around? Because he is always in a turning around business. Somebody say amen. Uh, one day he will burst the azure skies and he will come back for his people. He will build, here right now he's building mansions above. We will be living in a place called the new Jerusalem. All oh, the streets will be made of gold. Somebody to hear me here now. So smooth that I would not need to walk. I can just glide down 
the streets. Oh, we will be there having robes of, of righteousness and crowns. Somebody ought to hear me here. A slipper I'm going to wear. God will turn this world around. He will destroy all the works of darkness and he will make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth where dwelleth righteousness. There will be a pure river of water. Somebody ought to help me here now. Flowing from the throne of God and the tree of life would be there. God will turn it around and there will be no more death and no more pain and no more sickness and no more health and heartaches and cancer. God will kick cancer down the road. I'll tell you something that God will make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. There will be no more immigration because there will be no more sea. Oh, there will be no more home offices because nobody will have to be processed. I'll tell you something. God God will make all things new. And I want to be there when he comes. What about you? Will you be there when Jesus Christ comes again? He is coming back. He will make all things new. I want to be there. I want to be there. Because God will turn it around. You know, there's a song that we love. But there's a song that came out of pain. Andrew Dorsey was a fairly new husband in 1932. And he and his wife, Nettie, were expecting their first baby at that time. But Dorsey was a popular revival singer, so he had to leave since... Louis, you say here, the French says St. Louis, to attend a large revival meeting where you'd be featured as a soloist. Uh, Dorsey did not want to go, but his wife, even though she was due to have that baby, she said, man, no, you go, you sing, and God will take care of me. In the midst of the ambience of St. Louis, there he was, this huge crowd gathered, and he was singing song after song after song after song. When he finally got a chance to take a rest, a young man gave him a Western Union telegram. And that shattered his world. You know, these telegrams, you have to be very judicious with words. And all it said, your wife has died. He rushed back to his hometown. As he was rushing there, he got another message, the baby is alive. At least there was some mixture of sadness and happiness because the baby was alive and the wife had died. But then he got the news as well that the baby had died. And his whole world turned upside down. For months, he wallowed in his pain and his sorrow, his heartache, the memories of his beautiful wife. He kicked himself, cursed himself. Why did he leave her that night to do ministry? He was depressed, sad, didn't want to get out of bed. He didn't want to live. 
But in the depths of his despair, God came through to him because God wanted to turn things around for him. And not only for him, for millions and billions who after would benefit from his experience and the song that he wrote. And so God gave him the words. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. As we stand today, is there something in your life as we will sing this song led by our song leader? But is there something in your life today that you want God to turn around for you? Perhaps you've been going through pain and darkness. Perhaps you've been even wondering whether you should give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never been baptized. You have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're saying today, God, I want you to come into my life so that I can accept you as Lord and Savior. Because I want salvation. I want to be in that kingdom that you've gone to prepare for me. Perhaps you're a member, but you have just been living a life that's a shell. You've been hiding like Saul under pomegranate tree or in the holes and the caves of this world because you're afraid that you can't make it. You're afraid that you are a failure. Somebody told you a lie that you're not good enough. I came by here to tell you today that you're good enough for God because he can turn it around in your life. He can make you into the person that he wants you to be. Maybe your Christianity has gone dry and sour. You're just going through the motions because you were taught that this is how you should be. Come to church and go back home. God wants to make your life a fruitful life and turn it around for you. Youngster, young man, maybe today you are on the brink of getting involved in foolishness, in, in drugs or in crime or in gangs or, or something because somehow you think that that lifestyle is glamorous. But God wants to snatch you from the pit of hell and to turn your life around and make you a young man of purpose, a young man of service. I don't know what your situation is. You may be a leader in this church and your leadership is just one dimensional because somehow you're not growing. Somehow you've been taking things for granted, develop, not developing yourself. As a, God wants to turn that around as well. Make you into the kind of person that you want to be. It does not matter. Whatever your life is, precious Lord, can take your hand and lead you on where you can stand your life turned around during this series of meetings here if you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ in baptisms or to just sign up for Bible studies contact the leadership team the pastor put a note on the website do something reach out to somebody let them know Jesus still saves, my friend. 
and he wants to save you. Let us stand and sing this song. Precious Lord, take my hand.